0: Welcome to PaintEd. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by 3M, PPG, and Painter Marketing Pros. Tim, welcome to PCA Today. It's great to meet you.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited
0: to be here. So you're in Sacramento, right? Yeah, we're
1: just outside of Sacramento. We're in the uh, Roseville area, which is about 20 miles east of Sacramento.
0: And how long have you been in business for? Uh,
1: I've had my own contracting business since uh, 2002. Uh, Trico has been, uh, we, we formed Trico in 2009.
0: Nice. So how did you get into the painting trade?
1: Well, it's kind of a roundabout way. Uh, I used to be a, well, started as a you know, truck driver working for the paint stores down in LA and worked my way up the food chain, eventually becoming a vice, vice president of a uh, paint manufacturer. Um, worked for Kelly Moore up in Northern California and Vista Paint down in Southern California selling paints uh, to v- various painting contractors and government agencies, things like that. Um, and what got me started in the on the contracting side was you know at that level of um, in, the, in the management side of a paint manufacturing your days are numbered somewhat i mean it's always what have you done for me today and uh, and so i kind of decided that rather than them being con- in control of my fate i would control my own destiny and so my wife and i decided that we would start our own contracting business and we did that back in Uh, 2002 and we haven't looked back and it's been a good a good ride
0: and how did trico come to be
1: well trico was a result of the 2009 crash we kind of had to regroup and reform and uh so we started trico in 2009 right in the middle of the storm basically uh trico we kind of we decided where we were going to do business uh, you know, kind of regroup and uh, rezone our business. We decided three counties would be uh, enough for us to go out and tackle, uh, rather than the whole state. That's what we were trying to do before uh, we became Trico. And so, as a result, we decided you know Sacramento County, El Dorado County, and Placer County would be enough business for us to, you know, manage, <laughs> rather than the whole world. So,
0: that's and how, how is did. that? yeah how's that going for you how many crew members do you have now on staff
1: uh we manage eight crews right now each crew has either you know between three and four men um so we have you know typically about 25 30 painters going depending on what time of season it is um so right around you know average 25 a year is what we you know 25 painters a year is what we try to manage and then we have office staff and uh estimators you know, run either run the jobs or doing the do the estimating as well.
0: So you had originally reached out to me about an article that we have on our PCA website about safety, and um, you had a safety incident not too long ago. And the article goes in. I encourage everyone to go out there and read it. But the article goes into depth about what happened um what you learned from the safety incident but take us back to that day and what happened um as far as safety goes
1: well unfortunately we had a an employee that had been with us for a number of years who um we had an exterior painting job and uh he was his job was to paint the chimney on this uh house it was a a substantial house it was a you know a custom-built house in eldorado hills Probably in, in the neighborhood of 8,000, 9,000 square feet and uh, had a decent pitch roof. And at the end of the day, the elevation was about three stories. It was, you know, it's a two story house, but it was really about a 30 foot drop from the roof to the ground. And uh, our employee uh, was on the roof, had done a couple of things that uh, led to the accident. And as a result, he fell off the roof and uh, was severely injured from, from the fall. So, um, prior to the accident, we had done, you know, a lot of different safety meetings, including fall protection, um, and uh, we thought we were kind of following the guidelines and keeping the guys safe, and you know, providing the tools and necessary equipment to make sure that you know when we arrived at a job, they were going home at night, and in this case, that wasn't—it just obviously didn't happen. So. There's a lot so of was, we learned, so I can kind of walk you through those.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to break that down. Um, so with the fall, was he hurt seriously? Was he taken to the hospital? Um, what what ended up happening to him?
1: Uh, he was hurt. Uh, he was taken to the hospital and uh, in, was in intensive care for a number of
0: really weeks, months, basically. Um, and he eventually passed. Gotcha. So what are some of the things that you, as you begin to investigate this injury, what are what are some of the things that you uncovered?
1: Well, one of the things we realized is that, um, you know, had we been doing things a little bit differently by, you know, arriving at job sites, even pre-job, taking a look at those jobs and documenting what safety precautions would be needed to pull that job off and then arriving at that job site and having a kind of a pre-job safety meeting to discuss what the how we were going to handle certain situations on that particular job really any job um and then provided you know make sure that there was uh, some adequate uh communication between foremen and workers on how we were going to you know monitor the job and and uh, make sure that the job was pulled off in a safe manner. Uh, this accident could have been avoided because, like I said, the, the worker went on the roof and uh, decided to do a couple things that really, in hindsight, shouldn't have been done. Um, you know, kind of really hard to understand why it was done the way it was done. But in the any event, it happened, and now you know we're in the situation where we've lost a good employee and the husband uh, wife and family have lost their husband and father. So my goal is to try to educate uh, other contractors out there on, you know, hey, if, you know if it looks bad, try to make sure that nothing bad happens. and that's where we're at today.
0: So, if you're working on top of a roof, what is the best practice? Should you tie yourself off? Um, what should you be doing to prevent a fall from, you know, really high area?
1: Well, there's definitely um, systems that you can purchase. Um, you know, uh, uh, a fall arrest uh, harnesses, you know, cables, things like that. Uh, that you, you know, if you're tied off with an anchor to the roof. Uh, it will arrest your fall before you fall. Uh, there's you know different cable mechanisms, things like that. We uh, reached out to the people at Fall Tech, which is um, a uh, you know they manage fall safety for big industry uh, guys on high rise iron workers that type those type of industries. And we reached out to them and sent two of our guys down for fall protection training uh, right after the accident. We had provided fall we had fall tech do some fall tech training prior to the accident as well um and kind of walk through you know what the scenarios were what kind of equipment was needed to make sure that you were safe how to tie off what kind of anchors to use that type of thing um and in this case we just didn't you know they i didn't uh, typically the the best way to do it would be like i said have a pre-safety meeting and then make sure those tools and and harnesses and equipment would be available on that job site and we just missed that checkbox and and so now we don't we have we have all those policies in place we have all the safety harnesses in place Uh, we have training on how to uh, install anchors on roofs uh, or different anchoring systems and fall protection systems to make sure that uh, whatever happens on that roof our guys are coming down off that roof and and in a safe way.
0: And I, I just want to stress that, you know, you know you've know you been in business for a long time. You already had safety procedures that, that you guys were adhering to, like PPE. You know, you're already doing tailgate safety talks. And these things can happen. And that's why it's important to always look at the safety manuals and your safety procedures and update them on, your, on a regular basis. I think you know, a misconception is, oh, I uh, that, that'll be taken care of with my insurance plan, right? And they don't look at it again and make those necessary updates. So when I read the article, I was like, one takeaway I had is to constantly update your safety procedures. All
1: right. Yeah. Take a look at your safety procedures and make sure, you know, we do the tailgate meetings and
0: uh, those tailgate meetings were
1: provided, the topics were provided by PCA. Um, and we take advantage of those because you can't think of all the safety topics, you know, without getting boring. And you want to keep those kind of, you know, fresh and new and, and have something that the painters can relate to, you know, their particular job circumstance, you know, yeah, I've done that or been in that situation. You want to make sure that these guys are, uh, they're buying into the program, you know, because if, if you're just lecturing and they're not listening uh you're really kind of wasting your time so you really have to have these guys kind of commit to being part of the safety program um, and that's what we've managed to do we, we're we have our tailgate meetings in our office now instead of uh, uh you know giving the foreman a, a kind of here's the topic make sure you guys cover it we bring everybody to the office now and we uh document that they're partic- you know participating or asking questions we're providing the answers. We have, you know, different training methods available, but really it's just kind of keeping things cutting edge and interesting so that these guys really kind of walk away from these safety meetings with the ability to keep, to stay safe really is what it really boils down to. And so we've done that. We've uh, provided first aid training for all of our guys, uh, CPR training. Uh, we do respirator fit training with 3M there. They, they provide that service. So there's a lot of things we've, we're, really sinking our teeth into on the safety part of the business, just to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I can do everything in my power to avoid that phone call.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you also said that um, some of these things might be specific to California itself, but there were some specific things that you said that you learned, such as You know, in addition to reporting to the insurance, you have to notify Cal OSHA within eight hours of an incident so that you don't incur a major fine.
1: Yeah, that was something, you know, a lot of these things were, you know, you hear of Cal OSHA or OSHA or whatever, you know, uh, work agencies in your state and you you hear about them, you read about them, you hear stories. But, you know, as a business owner, I was always going, I'm just doing everything I can to keep my guys safe. That's really, you know, I don't really care about Cal OSHA. Um, and the, the eye opener for me has been, you really should care about the agencies that are kind of writing the rules for you because there are a lot of rules that if you're not following can can bite you in the, as a company, but, but they're really there for, for, the, for the employee's protection. So one of the things when I called my insurance agency just to report the accident, they said they told me you need to call a Cal OSHA within eight, eight hours, and I really had never known that. And I think if you're if you're reporting an accident and they don't tell you that, and then Cal OSHA gets wind of it or whatever agency gets wind of it, it's a five thousand dollar fine without any question. It's not there's no uh, room for debate or explanation. It's just you will pay that $5,000 and that's, and that's the end of the story. So, um, you know, I thought it was important
0: to let contractors know, Hey, there's other things besides just the accident you need to be concerned about. Right. And so you you notify Cal OSHA about, uh, accident or an injury on the job site, and Mm -hmm. then they come on site to visit in about, you know, three weeks or so. Right. Right. They, and then what are the things that they're looking for?
1: So they they knock on they knocked on my door, really without any notice, and that was one of the things I was kind of um, you know wow, a phone call would have been nice, but they're not that's not them they're not there to be nice and they, you know they're they're there to get information, and they're not they're not going to give you an appointment or give you a phone call before they come, so be aware of that, but the things they ask you for the things you're required to have. Uh, and they expect you to have, and one of those, you know, they expect you to have a um, code of safe practices, which is, you know, how you operate uh, safely with with anything you do. So, you for any uh, particular part of your operation, if it involves an airless, there's you're supposed to have a code of safety practice for how do you operate that airless in a safe manner, and there's and it's got to be documented. So. So they ask you for that they'll ask you for in california they ask you for the heat prevention plan to make sure that if your guys are working outside and you're dealing with any kind of um, you know warm weather that you have a heat illness prevention plan in place and uh, you're you're um, you know using that plan so it involves you know making sure they have shade making sure they have breaks making sure they have water uh, there's a, there are apps out there for a heat index app that OSHA recognizes. And if you're looking at that, it'll tell you what part and what time of the day it's safe for the workers to be outside working. Uh, and then they'll have a um, illness prevention, illness injury prevention plan that they'll ask you for. And a lot of um, your insurance carrier typically provides that for you. And in some cases, some of these other documents as well. Um, but you need to review those and make sure it's, you know, relevant to your industry. Um, So that's one other, you know, the I I can't remember the exact names, but it's illness injury prevention plan. And then the COVID plan, which is another document that you're expected to have uh, for COVID prevention and uh, whatever happens if you do get COVID. So all these documents are required uh, and a, and there's a, in our state, there's a 300 plan or 300 document that requires you to document every injury that happens uh, for uh, the year. And you're required to have five years of, uh, of that available as well. So there are a lot of things they're gonna ask you for. Uh, they expect you to have them, they expect you to be docu- uh, updated and they expect you to be OSHA compliant. You know, in other words, whatever their rules and regulations are you're required to have them in your documents. You can't just make up your own rules and regulations they are supposed to be you know, following whatever state you're doing business in.
0: Now, whenever you're documenting this accident log, is it um, simply like something that actually happens in the moment on a job site? Or is it something that might be overuse type of thing? Like um, my arm hurts from painting too much or my knees hurt or back or anything like that. Um, is it, so do you have to record those as well?
1: No, I don't, I didn't have to look into that to be honest with you, but I, I think what we primarily use it for is for, you know, if, if it's an injury that requires uh, an urgent care visit, something like that. Uh, then we document it in the 300 log. Um, if the guy's got a headache, you know, or whatever, it's not, you know, it's a one time event. We're not going to document that typically if you walk into like walmart or home depots they'll have something on this board that says over 300 days injury free accident free those are the kind of you know talking about injuries that require some kind of first aid you know and yeah administration so that's that's how we handle those well
0: Another interesting thing is, you know, I know that it's always encouraged to have safety meetings regularly, but I didn't know that at least in California, you're mandated to have them at least every 10 days.
1: Yes. Every 10 days, you got to have a sign-in sheet. Uh, there's got to be a competent person, you know, providing the, the training and the safety uh, on the safety topic. So, you know, they're, they're supposed to be competent as far as what that whatever that training uh, whatever you're providing the topic on, you're supposed to be competent on that topic. So, uh, and it's every 10 days. And if Cal OSHA asks you for your safety training records, uh, you've got to have where the event was held, who held the event, who gave the training and how, who attended the training. And so we, the nice thing about the uh, system we use is we hand out the topic. There's a test at the end of the topic. Uh, the employees required to fill out the test and sign it and hand it back to us. And then we have a file for all those uh, safety, those tailgates that we have every, every other week.
0: So, you know, you were kind of fearful of OSHA, right? But at the same time you worked with them and weren't too combative. How does working with them look like and make the process better?
1: So when Cal OSHA, you know, knocked on my door and, uh, we were right in the middle of a training meeting uh, with another group that we belong to, with some painting contractors. And uh, when Cal Ocean knocked on my door, I, I thought it was, you know, um, like Amazon or somebody. <laughs> anyway, so he knocked on my door. He says, "Hey, I'm I'm Lance. I'm with Cal Ocean. I'm here to investigate the accident." And I looked at him. I said, uh, "Hey, how about a phone call?" You know, and sort of shut the door on him. <laughs> Which, you know, I, after a minute or may, maybe not even that, maybe about five seconds, I thought, you know, i probably better regroup and rethink this thing through. So I said, hey, come on in, we'll have a talk. So I invited him in my office and uh, right away, he started asking me about the accident and, uh, and um, asking about documents, you know, which are the ones we kind of go, went over, the IPPP, the heat and illness, and uh, code of safety practices, those things. And I was, you know, kind of scratching my head. I was, first of all, I was a little concerned that he was here at my house. And then second, I was wondering, do I have all these documents? And if I do, where are they, you know? Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm acting like, you know, I'm shaking, turn, doing this with my head and saying, yeah, we've got all that. And I was sure we did have most of them, but you know, you never know until you go digging. Um, but the thing with Lance was is once we started talking and kind of communicating and uh and I gave him the indication that I was, you know, really actually, you know, concerned about my employee and I think he read that. Um he took a different approach and I took a different approach and we decided, you know, it wasn't declared, but it was definitely kind of understood between the two of us that You know, I was in a situation that I didn't want to be in. I had an employee that was severely injured at the time. And I was trying to do everything I could to to make sure that never happened again. And I think he kind of picked up on that. And so as a result, when he started demanding documents and asking for things, I started complying uh, pretty quick with whatever he was asking for. And my communication with him was uh, always professional and polite. and. at the you know at the end of the first meeting probably by the second meeting we were we were definitely working towards the same goal which was you know hey let's let's figure out what happened why it happened and let's make sure it never happens again and um, and so working through all of those things with with him and I felt like he was more like on my team rather than uh, a guy that was out to get me um, and that's the way it ended up being. So, you know, because sometimes you think, well, this guy's acting like he's on your team and you know, all of a sudden, you, you know, you're you're getting him with a $80,000 fine. But Lance went to bat for me on a lot of different levels as far as the fines go. You know, he really kind of stepped up and, and and uh, you know, at the end of the day when I was, I did everything I could to make sure, you know, I did everything he asked me to do and then some, and we put all of our safety, plan you know policies updated them make sure they were current uh he you know the fines were not fun but they were you know they were manageable where they, they weren't putting me out of business which was you know you always kind of worry about when a government agency gets involved what kind of uh penalties and fines are going to be thrown at you and if you're going to be able to survive it
0: and what did you end up paying in fines
1: uh so we were cited for um uh, three, well, we were cited for about five different citations. Um, so, one was a heat, we didn't have a certain language in our heat illness prevention plan. Uh, and there's like a couple sentences that were missing. So, that was a hundred, like $150 fine. Uh, one was uh, we didn't actually issue the IPP plan to our employees, which we do now. And that was another, you know, $200 fine. The serious violation was the fact that um, our employee had a ladder, step ladder, on the roof, um, and, and he had leaned it against the chimney. And the second uh, serious violation was he didn't have a um, and he didn't have fall protection. So uh, between those two, they were both forty five hundred dollars, and when we went back for a conference meeting with his boss uh they reduced all of the fines down to i think it was like $5,000, five thousand fifty five hundred dollars was the total was that you know the total fine that we were levied against you know for the for the accident um so i, I can tell you that in in uh, if they if they wanted to the fines could have been you know seventy eighty thousand dollars so, um, it could have been substantial.
0: Right. And you, and you still lost an, an employee and a family lost their husband and father. Um, yeah, that was some of the, that was the Yeah, worst. that's a hard. Yeah. What, what, what are some of the takeaways that you have now, um, implemented into your business?
1: Well, we're a, a lot more safe uh, or serious about safety, obviously. Um, you know, when we get to the job site, we we look at the job, we we evaluate the job during the bid, and we evaluate the job when if we win the job. And we have a, a safety, um, kind of a safety sheet that we have that is actually required by OSHA as well. Um, that you're required to you know check off the boxes. You know what you know what's what's needed on this job, and uh, do you have it on do you have it on the job, and is are there competent people? Uh, that are trained to use the equipment on the job. So it's not just, you know, good enough to have fall protection available on the job. There has to be somebody that knows how to use the fall protection that's been trained as a competent person, um, and can use the equipment. So when you, you know, when you put somebody on the roof, you're not keeping your fingers crossed, they know how to, you know, anchor on, you know, so a lot of those, so we do those things now, uh, we, we go, we've gone way out, of, way beyond, you know, as far as purchasing, um, you know, safety equipment, sending guys down to fall tech for uh, two days of training. They're certified now in fall protection. Uh, we've got, we took all of our employees and, and uh, had them first aid and CPR trained. So every employee on the job site is, um, you know, has the ability to provide first aid to anybody, including the homeowner, if they need it um cal osha requires that somebody that is on the job some team member has to be certified uh, in first aid so we decide why not just do everybody that way we don't have to worry about who's got it and who doesn't um on top of all of that we make sure that they all have you know hard hats and uh that they're respirators and anything that is required to keep these guys safe going home at night and um you know not being ill from different things they're using, you know, different products, different paints, you know, primers, things like that. We make sure that they've got anything and everything that we can do to, you know, keep them healthy and, you know, going back to their families.
0: And so, um, you know, OSHA was a resource. What are some other resources that you use to pull together this safety plan? Yeah, the PCA
1: is definitely a huge resource. Um, the, uh, I belong to another group here in California, which is the uh, PDCC, I think it is, um, Painting Contractors uh, of California, um, and they have a um, they have a guy, a guy. His name is Chris, and he is a safety uh, consultant. And it's free for members of our group. And the nice thing about having him on board was he used to be a, a director of Cal OSHA, and so he knows a lot of the you know upsides and downsides and how to you know what you're going to re- be required and what you know what to say, what not to say, that type of thing. Uh, so when I was going through my thing, I had contacted them and contacted him. Uh, and he just said, you know, here's what's going to happen. Here's what they're going to need. Make sure you have this, make sure you have that. So they walked me through a lot of different things to kind of keep my, um, keep my feet out of the fire, so to speak. And uh, it was a huge help because um, Sharon at the uh, PCC was def- definitely provided a lot of documents and a lot of Resources for me to uh, look at and help me, you know, make sure my IPP and all the rest of my documents were in order. Uh, it was, it was a, it was a big team effort from a lot of different people, and definitely you, you and uh, your group and the and the one in California really saved my bacon.
0: Tell me a little bit about how the safety culture in your business has changed? How are employees receptive to some of the more stringent policies that you've put in place?
1: So the safety culture changed, you know, because obviously we had a serious accident you know, it's one of those things where you, I think it's human nature to always kind of think, well, that's, you know, that was that guy, it can never happen to me. Um, but once it hits home, people look at things a little bit differently. You know, when one of your friends is in the hospital or your coworker, uh, you you kind of take that safety uh, a little more, um, you know, you, you pay attention a little bit more. We still have, uh, you know, we still have to drive home the fact that, you know, we need to be safe and, and work on being safer. Uh, we'll get to the job sites and somebody won't be wearing a hard hat or they'll be, you know, they, they like to take short, shortcuts. Um, and we have to be kind of a little, you know, a little uh, more hardcore, you know, enforcing some of these things. And at the end of the day, we just go look around. This is really f- for your your benefit, you know? I don't get anything by wearing a hard hat. I'm in a car driving around, you know? But if you have a five-gallon bucket fall off the roof onto your head, you're going <laughs> to, you know, you're going to, you're going to be grateful you yeah, we're wearing that hard hat you know instead of not wearing that hard hat so um so we got to kind of walk around and you know for the most part they re- they've come on board with the safety uh and we our job right now is just to kind of make sure that we tweak that um you know i think it's more of, of habit forming you know it's it's you do things something i like, think what seven times it becomes a habit that's kind of where we're at we're just kind of reinforcing the habit
0: nice well tim is there anything else that you wanted to share about your story or the article that you wrote for us
1: you know this my story is it's just bottom line is is um this is an accident that i really never saw coming i never thought it, you know i know i knew there was accidents. i knew people you know had fallen off ropes and i never really kind of pictured my company going through something like that. And the bottom line is, you know, accidents are accidents. They happen to everybody any day, every day. And I think if, um, if you're doing your part to make sure that, you know, you, you're taking accident safety serious and you're trying to make sure your guys are educated, uh, you know, you're just minimizing the risk, you know, it's not a hundred percent, but you know, if you, if you take a few percentages off that, uh, you know, could happen, you'll, you know, it just means one guy's going to go home at night uh, versus not, you know, so I would say if you're not doing a safety program right now, take a look at them, Uh, you'll, you'll be thankful and your employees will be thankful as well. You know, they might drag their feet a little bit, but bottom line is if you're, you know, show that you're concerned about their health, you know, and truly concerned, uh, they'll take you to heart and I think they'll, they'll
0: appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming on PCA Today and sharing your story.
1: No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.